we are in 1 Samuel, so if you'll open your Bibles today, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get right to work. So uh, 1 Samuel, the big idea of this section of 1 Samuel uh, is faithfulness. Uh, The Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And, of course, a steward is someone who is responsible for somebody else's stuff. That's what a steward is. And for, for those of us that are children of God, that have trusted the Lord as our Lord and Savior... Well, to us, every single one of us as a child of God, we are a steward. We're a steward of our talents. We are a steward of our time, of our treasure, of our kids, of our life. None of it belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And so he he has given us life. He has given us children. He has given us time, talents, treasure. He's given us these things so, so that we will faithfully steward it obediently for him. And a day is coming when we're going to stand before God and give an account of our stewardship. The writer of Hebrews says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so on the day when we stand before the Lord and we give an account for our life, one of two things is going to happen. You are either going to be found faithful or you're going to be found unfaithful. It all comes down to this. And here in 1 Samuel, we find lots of examples of both. We have examples of faithfulness, and we have examples of of unfaithfulness. And last week, we looked at three aspects of faithfulness, displayed in the sons of Eli and displayed in the son of Hannah, Samuel, the the would-be, the soon-to-be prophet, Uh, We looked at the contrast, first of all, between faithfulness of Samuel and the unfaithfulness of Eli's sons. Secondly, we looked at the the contributing cause of unfaithfulness in Eli's sons. And and basically what we saw was that, you know, whereas Hannah and Elkaniah, the the parents of, of, of Samuel... Um, were, you know, faithful to be engaged. Yes, she had dedicated her child to the Lord. And, and yes, you know, he would remain at the temple. But they themselves, proving themselves faithful to, con- to continually make their way to Shiloh, to worship the Lord, to present their offerings to God. And Hannah being faithful and engaged in her young son's life to be able to, uh, you know, outfit him with, you know, the little priestly robe that she would make for him and all of the pouring in, the engagement of, of their life spirit into his life, we saw the, 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 you know, that whole aspect, and, and then we saw in Eli, well, basically, he was a guy that was disengaged, that he was actually guilty of uh, honoring his sons more than, than the Lord, and we, tr- we drew a lot of lessons out of that. If you missed it last week, I'd encourage you to go online uh, and uh, listen to the message. Thirdly, we looked at last week was the consequence of unfaithfulness, and we saw there that, well, God said that he was going to kill Eli's sons because they were wicked and unfaithful, that he was going to uh, cut off the symbol of the power of Eli and his family, and uh, ultimately he was going to raise up for himself a faithful priest. And we left off on on this note, verse 35, uh, where uh, God, speaking through a godly man, gives this prophecy. This is the Lord speaking through one of his servants. He says, then I will raise up for myself, speaking to Eli, In his unfaithfulness, look, then I'm going to raise up for myself a faithful priest 
who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed for my anointed forever. So uh, continuing today in chapter 3, next week in chapter 4, we're going to see God follow through with his promise. Now, God is not a, re- a threatening and repeating parent. You know, he's not, he's not a, a father that says, stop it or I'll say stop it again. You know, that's not God. He, he says what he means and he means what he says and God follows through and he's faithful to follow through. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see God follow through with his promise to raise up Samuel as a faithful priest and to cut off the unfaithful priests, Hophni and Phinehas and indeed the entire house of Eli. We're going to look at uh, three things. We're going to look at the calling of Samuel. We're going to look at the collapse of the house of Eli, and we're going to look at the capturing of the Ark of the Covenant, and I will get through exactly one of those today. So you get a preview for what we're going to look at next week. Let's, uh, let's begin there with the calling of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no... Uh, widespread revelation, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. Now, in verse 2, we see that before the lamp of God had gone out, the Lord called to Samuel. Now, the lamp of God that this is referring to, it's a seven-branched golden candlestick. If, if you've ever seen a menorah, that's what it is. And, and this stood in the holy place before the veil. And, and the, the whole purpose of the lamp and the lighted lamp, and it was to be lit all the time. We'll talk about that in a second. But the whole purpose of the lamp was that this was the only source of light in the holy place. It was the only source of light in the holy place. And that light represented something. The light represented the light of God's truth to the world through his people. That's very important. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said this, uh, speaking to the Israelites, he said, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And so this lampstand provides the only source of light, very important, and in Exodus 27 we discover that it was the responsibility of the priests to keep the lamp in the tabernacle going continuously. And and so they were to keep oil in the lamp, they were to keep it burning, they were to trim the wick every morning and and every evening. Of course, you know, if, if, if you've ever seen a lamp and you allow it to burn and you don't trim the wick and you don't attend to it, ultimately, uh, the, the flame is going to get smaller and smaller because that wick needs to be trimmed and advanced. And then, you know, when it runs out of oil, clearly it's going to uh, go out. 
Um, and unless you're celebrating Hanukkah, and that's a whole other story we don't have time to get into. But at any rate, your job as the priest was to make sure that the oil was continuously replenished, that the wick was trimmed, and that this was something you had to do every morning. You had to do it every evening. Uh, and so when we read that Eli's eyes were dim and that the flame was fading and that both Eli and Samuel were laying down in their beds, uh, all of this tells us that this is taking place before dawn, uh, that it was it, the, the, the fire in the lamp was going down, that it had burned all night. Clearly, it was before the morning trimming of the wick. It was, you know, would then be, you know, either, you know, very early in the morning uh, while it was still, you know, dark out and before everybody got up. This is, this is basically all of those sentences are telling us, I mean, you wonder why he didn't just say, well, it was, you know, early in the morning, oh, dark 30, and he, you know, this is when it happened. Well, um, the reason it doesn't say that is because this is saying much more than that. It's not just all of these sentences aren't just crafted to make us put all the dots together and go, oh, this, this was happening, you know, probably 5 a.m. or whatever it was. No, it's more than that. Because we read in verse 1 that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. Now, the word of the Lord was rare. The reason God wasn't talking much, that's basically what it means, is when it says the word of the Lord was, was rare, he, he wasn't talking much. And the reason God wasn't talking much is because, <laughs> it's not because he didn't have anything to say. It's because nobody was listening. That's an important point. The word of the, rare, of the Lord was rare because nobody was listening. Guys, you ever, you know, go to your wife and you say, honey, what's wrong? And she says, nothing, right? You ever, you ever experienced that? Is it nothing? Is it ever nothing? Now, okay, now maybe, let me just do a little public service help here, okay? Maybe, maybe there's a couple of guys here. Maybe you're freshly married. And maybe, you know, you've asked your wife, honey, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. And you go, Cool, and you go back to doing what you're doing. That is a rookie mistake, let me just tell you, okay? Because it is always something, okay? And so what we, what we need to understand here is that here in Shiloh, it is most definitely something. It is most definitely something because what happens is, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know, hey, God has nothing to say because everybody is doing what's right, in their own eyes. This is what's going on during this time. Everyone's doing what's right in, in their own eyes. And so, you know, basically when we read in, in verses 2 and 3 that Eli's eyes had grown dim and that the lamp of God is precariously close to going out, it's not just telling us that this is happening at 5 a.m. and that's what's going on. It's, it's, it serves a purpose, metaphorically speaking. Uh, basically, is, is, it's telling us that Eli and his sons are not burning brightly for God. That's what it's telling us. Hey, Eli and his sons, they themselves, they're about, they're about done. They're not burning brightly for God. This is a picture of spiritual blindness, that, that uh, sin, the blindness that, that, that comes, you know, spiritually speaking, that sin, that compromise brings into a people. And so, and so here we are, you know, Eli's eyes are growing dim, the, fade is gr- the, the, the flame is growing dim, Man, there, there, is a, there, is a, a, there is a weakening in the house of Eli. They're, they're about done. They've about burned themselves out. And so the big idea here is that before the light of the Lord completely burns out, 
God's getting himself a new light. And so what he's going to do here is, is he, you know, he's conveying, look, I'm, a, I'm, I'm all done talking to the house of Eli. I'm all done talking to people who ain't listening. And so now I'm going to get myself a new light, and I'm going to talk to somebody who will listen. Question for you at this point, are you listening? Just something to write down, kind of think through as we go through here. Now, here's the implication to all of this. What happens here in, in considering that, you know, the, the flames going out, that, you know, here they are in the, the presence of the Lord, and there's the lamp of the Lord, and it's about done, and God's basically saying, this lamp is over with, I'm going to get me a new lamp. Well, we see the same idea reflected, <clears throat> excuse me, in the churches that Jesus Christ addresses in the book of Revelation. Now, you don't have to turn there, but if you, if you look at the book of Revelation, as it starts out, God gives the Apostle John this, this vision, and, and it just it starts right immediately in the first couple of chapters of the book where he has this vision, and, and basically Jesus explains to him that, the, the, that you know, he sees this vision of seven stars and seven lampstands. And, uh, and what Jesus explains to him is that the stars, <clears throat> they symbolize leaders of churches, uh, and and, and the, that the lampstands are they're reflective. They are they themselves are to serve as a picture of churches, and and it's it's the picture of the 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 seven churches of the church age. Now we live in the church age, and there there are, there are those that say you know the seven churches that are listed are the progressive ages of the churches, that each one was a church that existed during a period of time. And so, you know, you had the, the church of the Laodicean times and the church of, you know, the Philadelphian times and, and all this and so on and so forth. And then there's others that just say, no, that the, the seven churches that are listed here are churches that exist all throughout the church age. Um, and that, you know, depending on which church it is, it depends on which church it is. You know, and, and so what happens is, is that the Lord gives this vision uh, to John, and then, you know, he, he tells him, you know, you, you, you see these seven angels, and basically those angels are the leaders of churches, and, and you see the, the lampstands, the lampstands reflect these churches, and so you have, uh, you know, the lukewarm church, you have the loveless church, you have the corrupt church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the dead church, and the faithful church. And, and inevitably, what, what the Lord says as he, as he reveals each one of these churches, talks about their strengths, talks about their weaknesses, and, and basically says, look, nevertheless, I have this against you. And, and as he goes through, and as he's talking to them, um, well, you know, the, the, the issue here is that, hey, the churches are represented as lampstands because, and this is important, listen, the church is supposed to be light, that's the thing. The church is supposed to serve as a light to the people. And, and what is the church? Who is the church, I should say? You, me, we all together, corporately, we individually and corporately, we make up the church. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, now he says something very important. He says this, he says, you are the light of the world. Now he's speaking to the disciples, but by, you know, through them and, and by implication he's speaking to us. And so he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, but they put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And, and, and so this is, this is the idea that we are supposed to serve as those lamps that burn brightly so that people might see the Lord. And the problem in the book of Revelation is that many churches were not shining their light, and so Jesus warns them, look, if, if you don't stop you know, with, the, with the disobedience and the failure to shine your light, I'm going to remove your lampstand from you. Okay, so too here in 1 Samuel, well, the light of the priests is fading. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, have been wicked and have not been following the Lord. Eli himself has, has been disobedient in the sense that he's honoring his sons more than he's honoring the Lord. That's God's assessment, not ours. And so what's happening is God is removing their lampstand. And before it, mo- it, it burns out completely, he's getting himself a new light because he's done talking to the people who aren't going to listen. Again, a big question for us in, in the application right there is just to ask the question, write it down, take a walk with it this week. Am I listening? Am I listening to God? And so the Lord called Samuel, verse 4, and Samuel answered, here I am. Verse 5, so he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again, and, and he went and lay down. Now, God's speaking to Eli, <clears throat> he's not, or to Samuel, he's not recognizing it that, that it's the Lord calling him. He thinks Eli's calling him, and so he runs in there. Verse 6, and the Lord called yet again to Samuel. And so Samuel arose, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And he, uh, Eli, um, said, uh, He answered, I I did not call you, my son, lay down again. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And, um, you know, it's interesting, Josephus, who was a a, uh, first century historian, he basically says and maintains that Samuel at this time was about 12 years of age. And, uh, and, and the, the issue here in verse 7, it tells us that, that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. Um, up until this point, basically Samuel was operating under the faith of his mentors. And, and, so, and so operating under the faith of his mother and his father and, and Eli and so on, he's operating under the faith of his mentors. And, um, and so this is the day that we're reading here. This is the day when his faith becomes his own. When his faith becomes his own. For you and me, we raise up our children and, and we, in the instructing of our children, we raise them to know the Lord and, and we bring them to Sunday school and, we, and we, we're teaching them, we're instructing them and we're, we're, we're you know, leading them in worship and to a certain extent, they operate under our faith but then they reach an age where their faith becomes their own. We had an interesting discussion in our house the other day. Scotty was over and Brenda was showing him a video of a, of a kid that was, that was worshiping. And, and this was a little girl. I mean, I, I don't know how old she was. Maybe two, maybe younger. And, and they're, they're playing worship music and she's just got her eyes closed and her head, her hands raised. She's just worshiping the Lord and it's so beautiful. And, and Scotty says, that, that's awesome. You know what she's doing, right? She's copying her mom. And, and she is. She's copying her mom, copying her dad, and, that, and that's beautiful. Now, now, some would look at that and they would say, you know what, um, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just mimicking her, 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 you know, her 
those around her, and she's, she, this is just mimicking. There's really no faith exercised in it. Others would say, you know, Jesus said, you know, unless you come to the Lord and have faith as, as a child, you know, that, that, you know, that you need to have that kind of childlike faith, and, and, you know, she very much does know what she's doing. Well, here's what I know. I know that, you know, she is clearly being mentored by somebody, and I know that the Bible exhorts us that we're to train up a child in the way that he's, he should go, that when he's old, he will not depart from it, and I know that there reaches a point in time, there, there's a certain period of time where, yes, our, our faith is our children's faith, and then they reach a point where our faith has to become their faith. And so, so there, is, there is this process. What we see transpiring here is that Samuel has been brought up in the ways of the Lord, and, and you know, he's been, he, he, there's been very much an, engage, an engagement in his life by his parents and by Eli and so on. And so what's happened now is now he's starting to hear the word of the Lord himself. Um, God speaks to him, he calls him, and, uh, and, and it's interesting, just as an aside, I won't get into it, but it's interesting, God calls him audibly. And, and we, hear, we read much the same thing in, in Acts chapter 9. God, you know, calls uh, the Apostle Paul, call, calls him audibly on the, the road to Damascus. But, you know, these verses that we read, they touch on a, on a question, uh, questions that I'm asked frequently as a pastor. Uh, a couple of questions I'm asked. One is, how does God speak to us? And a, and a corollary question is, how can I discern the voice of God? Or to put it another way, how does God speak to us and how can I know it's God kind of thing? Now, like here, sometimes God does speak to us audibly. Arguably, uh, it's the lesser of the times. He speaks to us audibly, but he also speaks to us in an inner voice. And I'll, I'll expand on this in just a little bit, but... but it's the rarer occasion that God actually speaks to us audibly, but we have biblical examples of when it's happened, and we have examples today of people who have audibly heard from God. Anybody here ever audibly hear, hear from God? A few of you? Raise your hand. Now, you're not crazy. I mean, you've you got verses to support. God does audibly speak to his people. It's, it's the rare occasion, but he does. I, heard, I, I just heard a story. There was a guy... And he went out to go ice fishing, and so he, he gets the drill, you know, the auger that they drill in, and he's drilling, trying to break through the ice, and all of a sudden he hears this booming voice, there's no fish under the ice. He's like, is that, is that you, God? No, I'm the owner of the ice rink, you know. Okay, all right, come on. Courtesy laugh, that would be great. So, <laughs> these are the jokes, folks. All right, so... Um, no, but God does speak audibly. There actually, there's a prominent pastor who, who uh, his testimony is that he was at a men's retreat. God spoke to him audibly, called him into the ministry, told him what his ministry was to look like, gave him the whole outline for it. God spoke to that man audibly. And he does do that from time to time. Now, again, this is the exception to the rule, but the, the normal way that God speaks is he speaks with that inner voice. He speaks to us, you know, by our thoughts, by our feelings, which come into our, our hearts and our heads. Now, this hearing from God is tricky business. This is really tricky business because God's not the only source of our thoughts and our emotions, is he? No, he's not. There are other sources, good, bad, man, they don't all come from God. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16 real quick. 
Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, and we read, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Why do men, or uh, who do men, say that I, the Son of Men, am? Now, Caesarea Philippi, it's a region that's filled uh, with, uh, with idols and with, you know, pagan altars of worship and so on. And so against this backdrop of, hey, look, there's a smorgasbord of, of you know, idols and, and altars and things that people are worshiping, uh, little gods, little G that people worship. And against this backdrop, Jesus asks his disciples, well, okay, so men say that, you know, all of these are God, so who do, who do uh, men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so, verse 14, uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets, and, and he, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? By the way, I don't know, you might want to circle that question, because that's an important question for every single one of us. You know, you will not receive a, a, a lengthy exam when you get to heaven, you know, it is appointed for, for everyone to die once and then to face judgment. And when you go to heaven, there will be an exam, but it's not a lengthy exam. There's one question uh, on the test, and this is the question right here. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the question. That's the difference between life and death. And some say, oh, you know what? He was a, he was a good guy. He was, you know, he was like a, he was a prophet. He was a good teacher, whatever. But Simon Peter, verse 16, he, he answered and he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus, verse 17, answered and he said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, is what that means, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So what Jesus is is saying here to Peter is he says, look, Peter, I just asked you a question and you didn't answer that question by yourself. You heard the voice of God. You heard the voice of God. You heard the direction of God. That is God speaking to your heart. God communicating very clearly to you. And those are the words that you just articulated. You got those directly from God. And you're blessed for that. Now, verse 21, we continue, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, for this shall not happen to you. Now, here's what's going on. The the disciples, they were all looking forward, every Jew was looking forward to the return of the Messiah. And these disciples now, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and their belief and their expectation of their Messiah was that he was going to come and he was going to set up rule and reign. He was going to kick the Roman occupiers out, and they now, with the Messiah, they were going to reign. And these disciples, they're thinking, we were now your key guys, and so we're going to rule and reign with you. 
And, and we're going, they're thinking, they're thinking corner office, man. They're thinking, Peter, he's got carpet samples picked out. He's got the paint picked out. And my, my, my bookcase is going to go here. And my secretary will call me on this phone kind of thing. And this is the mindset of Peter. So when all of a sudden Jesus is talking about his plans, Peter is going, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That isn't, that's not our plan, Jesus. That's, that's not the plan. Now we go through this too, don't we? I mean, we're, we're all about, you know, God in, in our life. He shows up and we're thinking, all right, God, now, now here's our plan. And, and so now we're going and all of a sudden it's like God hangs right and we're like, oh, wait, no, 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 we're not turning right. We're going straight. You went right. That's wrong. We're going this way. God's like, you're going that way. I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. And see, this is what God does. So what happens here is Peter, now he sees Jesus telling him all these things. He's like, that is not, that's, not according, that's not according to my plan here. And so he pulls Jesus aside. He starts rebuking him. But he, that's Jesus, verse 23, turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's always a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, the illustration here is that Peter, in one moment, God is speaking to his heart. God is speaking to his mind, and and he is speaking according to God, and in the very next moment, he's speaking according to Satan. I'm encouraged by this only because it tells me that I'm normal. Because, you know, it astounds me that I can be in one moment completely speaking according to the, to the heart and the mind of God. And in the next moment, I can be completely speaking according to the heart and mind of Satan. Now, you know, it's, it's obviously that's not way, where we are to be, but it, it, it serves well to illustrate our point. This, this whole business of hearing from God, man, it's tricky stuff because you know, we can be deceived. We, we can be, man, I'm, I'm hearing from God, I'm hearing from Satan. And so, and I'm going to put this on the screen for you, because hearing God's voice is uncertain, there's some things that we need to keep in mind. First of all, we must always judge what we think God is saying by what he has already said. We have to always judge what we think God is saying by what God has already said, because God will never contradict himself. He's never going to contradict his word. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, he warns us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And we have to understand that that, that is his practice and that's his tactic. And, and so when we believe that God is speaking to us, when in our hearts, in our minds, in our feeling, I just feel like God's leading me this way, man, we, we have to gauge it according to his word. We, we always have to go back to his word. Secondly, because hearing God's voice is certain, something else to keep in mind is that we should always be humble regarding God speaking to us. In other words, we can never completely trust our inner voice. Absolutely, you can't trust your inner voice because, man, it's, sometimes it's so easy for us to add something to what God has already said. You ever have that happen to you? God speaks to you and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that and, then, and this. And God's like, I never asked you to do, I said that, I didn't say this. You know, we can add something to what God has asked us to do or, 
or something that I'm guilty of a lot of times is that God will speak to me and then I stop listening. Like I hear part of what he said, but I, I haven't heard the whole thing. And, it, and he's like, you're going off half cocked. I, I, I said this, but you didn't listen to the whole thing because I said this to tell you this, but you stopped listening here because you're too busy running. Uh, we're, oh, I know. Okay, yeah, we'll do this. You know, we're, gonna, we're just going to go. Or, you know, another thing is, and this is the bigger thing, we have to be humble regarding God speaking to us because a lot of times we think, we think it's God when it's really us. You know, it's not exactly a perfect illustration, but it's kind of the same idea. You know, Peter, he goes up onto the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord, and, and it's all going down there in front of him, and, and his response is to say, Lord, this is good. Let's set up, you know, let's set up three tabernacles for you all, and let's have this thing go down right here, you know. And, and, and the Lord is like, I know that seems good to you, Pete, but that's not what it's all about. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not taking this... Here, we're not going to make this a permanent thing right here the way it is now. And so sometimes, you know, we have a great idea, but it's really us. So it's far better for us to say, when we, when we think that we hear the Lord talking to us, than say just that, I think God's speaking to me. And now I, I need to confirm it, but man, I'm, I'm thinking that this is the way the Lord is, is leading me. The Apostle John said this, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets <clears throat> have gone out into the world. Something else to keep in mind in this issue of listening to God, hearing God's voice, no one should feel unspiritual because they think God does not speak to them the way he speaks to other people. Nobody should ever feel unspiritual, because see, here's the thing, God speaks to us in a variety of ways. And he, he speaks to different people differently. And sometimes for some people, God supernaturally does, does some amazing things. There, there are those that have, you know, the gift of discernment. They have the gift of, of uh, you know, the, they'll get um, a word of knowledge or, or, or some sort of a, you know, just some sort of a, a word of, you know, God showing them something. I, I had this happen to me. I've told you guys the story. I was in counseling. This is the coolest experience I've ever had in this way. But God, cool in the sense of, you know, well, it was supernatural. And then what God did with it later was wonderful. I'll just tell you the story. So uh, I got, I've got this guy, husband and wife. They're in my office. They come in for counseling. And they're having problems in their marriage. And they're in the course of talking to me. And God tells me in the midst of them talking that the guy has been unfaithful to his wife. Now, nothing that they have said should tell me that. There, this is out of the clear blue sky. And so God tells me this, hey, this guy's been unfaithful. And then he says, you need to call him on it. And I'm thinking, I'm arguing with God. They're talking to me. I'm having, in my head, I'm arguing with God. I'm like, what, what are you, nuts? You know, I, I mean, I, this is, and, and then the doubts come in. Like, oh, is this really you, God? And what if I'm wrong? And, you know, all of that stuff. And, and God, meanwhile, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking other things as well. The guy's huge. Uh, he's a bad dude. And, um, and he's between me and the door, you know, all those kind of things. So I'm thinking this could go really bad. You don't understand God. And then God at, at, at a certain point in the argument it tells me basically shut up and do what I told you to do. So I do. I, I said, okay. Um, and I'm thinking in my head, oh, <laughs> if he doesn't punch me in the nose, he's just going to, he's just going to deny it. 
And, and so, so then what do you do? You say, you've done this and I got nothing to hang my hat on, but you've done it and I know you've done it. God knows you've done it. So, whatever, I'll do it. So I tell him, goes, the guy goes pale and he says, how did you know? I'm like, I didn't know. God knew. And it ended up being a wonderful thing. The man repented, the relationship restored. He ends up serving the Lord. He's actively following, serving the Lord. I mean, radical life transformation is the coolest thing that God did in this man's life. But now that experience was phenomenal. Now, somebody might look at that experience and they might feel unspiritual because they go, well, God doesn't speak to me in that way. It's not, it's not about how he speaks to you. It's that he speaks to you and he speaks to all of us. In varying ways. And, and just, just because he might not speak to you in that way doesn't mean and make any less significant the fact that he does speak to you and, and doesn't mean that, that you know, yours is, your way of, of hearing from the Lord is inferior. So, you know, the, the issue here is if you really want God to speak to you, man, just get into his word. I mean, you have 66 books by 40 different authors sitting in your lap that was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. God speaks to all of us. He speaks to us through his word. And so just get into the word. You know he's spoken there. Now, a good place to start in this idea of, hey, I want to hear from God and I, and I want to I really be able to hear his voice. Look, there's, you know, a lot of times our, our, our attitude is, I want God to speak to me about this specific thing. And that's good. And God will speak to you and he'll give you wisdom and discernment. But, but here's a far better place to start. How about asking God to speak to you about his general will? Just his general will. God, he wants you to love your wife. He wants you to love your children. He wants you to, to pray. He wants you to be in the word. He wants you to be, you know, a faithful witness of his. He wants you to, you know, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He wants you to be, you know, faithful in your giving. And he wants you to be just faithfully obedient to the things that he, that he calls to your attention day by day. These are, these are all part of his general will. And a lot of times, man, if we want to know his specific will, well, how about this? How about if we just get the ball rolling, obeying his, his general will? I love this saying. It's been said that, that God can't steer a parked car. And if we will focus on just obeying God in his general will, we will begin to have momentum in our relationship with God. And then what happens is, you'll be amazed, he'll begin to speak to you in ways that you never imagined, as you're just faithful and little, as you're just faithful to be obedient to his, to his general will. And, you know, something else to consider, too, in this idea of, you know, how God speaks to us is just, you know, are you being obedient to the last thing God told you to do? Because I've, and I've seen this, and I have friends that have been through this, but, but, but often God will tell us something, and we won't do it, we'll chicken out or whatever it is, and then we expect that God's going to tell us something else to do. And God is like, I already told you what I wanted you to do. And nothing else is, you don't get nothing else from me. I told you to do this, now go do this. So a lot of times when we get to that place where it's like, well, Lord, I'm not hearing from you. Well, when we got to get back to the place, well, what was the last thing that he told me to do? I, I need to be obedient to that. And fourth, uh, another principle in this idea of, you know, hey, hearing God's voice is uncertain, you know, well, what do we keep in mind? Well, it's wise to seek godly wisdom when we think we've heard from God. 
Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. This is always so important. When I think I've heard from God, you know, there's a number of things. I want to go to, go to you know, I want to go to his word. I want to see God confirm it circumstantially. I want to see, a lot of times, God's practical. He's not always. Sometimes his ways aren't our ways, and it's crazy, and you just go, wow, that's God. But, but oftentimes, God is practical. So it's confirmed in his word. It's confirmed just through the practical circumstances. It, it's, con- it's confirmed, you know, by the, by, you know, the wisdom of a multitude of counselors, other people in my life. There's a number of things that, that go together to discerning, have I in fact, have I indeed heard from God? And so you want to make sure that you've got those people in your life that provide you with the wisdom of multitude of counsel. Hey, I feel like God's calling me to, you know, sell everything I own and to, you know, move to Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas and, you know, start a little church. You know, well, man, you better make sure you've heard from God on that, you know, kind of thing. So, so you know, just a few things to keep in mind. Now, it's wise to seek godly counsel when we think we've heard from God. Here in our text, Samuel does this, but it, it's not because he's seeking godly wisdom. It's because he, think, he thinks it's Eli that's talking to him. And so here's what he says, verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And so he arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you did call me. This is the third time, buddy. It is you. You're playing a practical joke on me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, and now the Lord came, and he stood, and he called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. Now, parents, take note of something super important here. Uh, Just as Samuel needed instruction on how to listen and respond to the Lord, our own children, they need to be taught how to listen and how to respond to the Lord. They need to be instructed in this way. My, my, my children growing up, uh, from time to time, they would, they would, have, they would be disobedient. They would, they would have sinful behavior. And, and that sinful behavior provided a teaching opportunity for me. And my job as a pastor, my job is to, to or as a, as, a, as a father rather, is to, to raise a morally responsible and biblically responsive child. That's my responsibility. And so in the disobedience, it gives me the opportunity to instruct them and to say, no, now here's how you hear from the Lord. And here's, here's why what you did was in disobedience to the Lord. I needed to give them, you know, the biblical and the moral reason why. But for so many parents, this isn't the, the attitude and this isn't the course. It, it's a matter of saying, well, do this and don't do that. Why? Well, because I told you to. Now, <clears throat> I, want, I want to illustrate this. Imagine you put your kid behind the wheel of a boat. And, uh, and you're heading over to Catalina, and you tell your kid, all right, go, and now you've got a compass, but you, you're not going to give them the compass, you're not going to let them see the compass, and you just look at the compass, and you say, uh, okay, turn the wheel to the right, a little more, okay, right there. Well, why? Well, because I told you, that's why, right there. And then a little, a little while later, oh, wait a minute, a little too far right, you've got to go back to the left, a little more, okay, that's good. 
Why? Well, because I told you why. Now, what, what you're doing is you're not sharing the compass with, with, with your child as he's driving the boat. Well, here's the thing, is that for our kids, they are going to raise up and they're going to get to the place to where ultimately, you ain't, you're getting knocked out of the boat, baby. You're not going to be in the boat for, for, the, for their whole life. And, and so what's going to happen is ultimately what you want is you want to have given your children, equipped them with a compass so that they can steer their boat. And, and so they need to have their own compass, and that compass comes from you sharing with them the moral and the, and the biblical reason why behind, you know, what they do. And so, so it, it, it very, very important that we do that with our kids. Now, you know, again... My kids, hey, when you were about to uh, meet with them and they're in trouble for something they did, now when you were about to do whatever fill in the blank that they did, when you were about to do that, did you, did you hear a voice telling you not to do that? And inevitably they'd be like, well, yeah, I knew I shouldn't do that. And I, I would, that was my job as, as a father to say, hey, that's God when you hear God speaking to you like that. And then, you know, share with them, hey, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says this, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he's speaking to his disciples, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And, and so I would just tell him, listen, you know, God speaks to you. And, and God has spoken to us through his word. And so then I would equip them, moral, biblically, this is, this is what, what you're supposed to do. This is, this is how you're sp- supposed, supposed to respond. And with, this is exactly what we see here. Samuel comes to Eli, hey, you know, was that you talking to me? And it's, Eli's like, no, that was God talking to you. Now here is how you respond to God when he talks to you. No different than, than me as a parent saying, all right, son, that was wrong. Here's how you respond to God, because you heard the voice of the Lord. You already admitted to me. You heard God telling you no. And here's why he was telling you no, because the Bible says this. And so here's what you got to do. Now, notice the result when Eli does this in verse 10. It says, now the Lord came and he stood and he called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. See, the result is they're going to hear the voice of God. Now, that word hear, you want to circle it. That's an important word. Nearby, when you circle that word here, nearby, here's what you write down. You write down, to lean towards. To lean towards. In other words, to lean in, to listen carefully. Over the years, working in the fire department, I have hearing loss. And, um, and normally, I'll hear okay, but if you get me you know, out in a restaurant, and there's a, a lot of you know, just background noise, it's really hard for me to hear. And so I have to really lean in. And when you have a group at a table, it's really difficult for me. I've got to watch your lips and I've got to lean in. It's really hard for me to hear. Um, Brenda frustrates me regularly because we'll be cleaning the house or she'll be in another room and she'll call to me. And I'm like, ah, I can't hear you. You've got to be in here, you know. Or then when she calls, I've got to stop dead still. And I've got to listen. There's no noise of me walking anywhere or, you know, moving something. So I've got to stop and I stand there and I listen. Well, I'm impatient as, as they come. And my wife is as chill as they come. So when I call her, wait, what did you say? Well, now I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And it seems to me like forever. For her, it's like, you know, it's not waiting forever. But I'm, I'm just like, and then I get frustrated waiting because she hasn't spoken. So then I start moving and then she speaks again and I can't hear her. And I'm like, ah! So patience, fruit of the spirit, Pastor Ted. So um, at any rate, here's the thing. 
Eli instructs him, hey, look, here's how you hear the voice of God. And so what happens is he does, he leans in, he listens very attentively. He says, look, uh, in, in, speak for your servant hears. And, and I put this together with the, the previous times, every single time God called him, even though he didn't know it, he said, here I am. God speaks, here I am. And now he's been equipped by his father. Hey, here's how you listen to the, to the voice of the Lord. Speak for your servant hears. Here's my question. Do we listen to God like that? Can you imagine how your relationship with the Lord, how my relationship with the Lord would just be revolutionary, revolutionized and transformed if we would, would listen attentively like this? Speak for your servant hears. What a beautiful way to respond to God's word. Now, how did Samuel hear and why did Samuel hear? Because he listened with the intent to obey. That's the idea. That word here, again, to lean towards, it has the idea of listening attentively to obey. And because and when Samuel listened with the intent to obey, man, he could hear the word of God. So God calls Samuel, and, uh, and now, you know, he's going to give Samuel a prophecy regarding the collapse of the house of Eli, and that's just a teaser because we're going to stop right there. We're going to pick that up next week. You'll hear uh, that portion. But I want you just to skip down and notice the last verse of this chapter, verse 21. After God, you know, he's pressing in. He's listening. He says, speak for your, <clears throat> for your servant hears. And so God gives him this prophecy. And then verse 21, it tells us, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. It's a huge contrast from the way that this chapter began because the way this chapter began, it told us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The word of the Lord was rare in Shiloh. But now the Lord appeared. And that word appeared, it's a fantastic word. It literally means to see, to look at, to inspect. And here's the idea. The idea is because Samuel listened with the intent to obey, Not only could he see and hear the Lord, but at last, now, so can the people. So can the people. So, three questions to consider this week as we close right here. First question, are you listening with the intent to obey? Take a walk with that, answer it really honestly between you and the Lord. Are you listening to the Lord with the intent to obey? Second question, is your lamp burning? Is your lamp burning? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Third question, are you teaching your children how to listen and respond to God? Hey, listen, here's the thought. Write that question down and and why don't you take a walk with it and answer it like God's asking you that question. I mean, really, like, because, you know, His eyes burn as a flaming fire. There's nowhere to run to. There ain't nowhere to hide between you and God. Because I can ask you this question, and and you can answer me, or you can answer yourself, and we kind of give ourselves the benefit. We grade on a curve. We're like, ah, not that bad. It's okay. You know, am I teaching my children how to listen and respond? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, You know, I'm not Charles Manson, so it's cool. You know, are you teaching your children how to listen to God? You're teaching them how to respond to God. And, and God knows the answer. He's asking the question. And so why don't, you know, take a walk with it 
hey, from his perspective, 